Okay, gentlemen. So in today's episode, I've got for you Nick. And I'll be honest with you, Nick is one of the coolest fucking men I've ever met. He's Greek. He was born in Lebanon. He's moved to London. And he's an absolute fucking surgeon when it comes to systems and scaling a business. Now, here's what's really, really interesting about Nick. Um, he operates his business side by side with his wife, uh, which from first-hand experience from my side of things is a fucking minefield. And um, they, they do it spectacularly well, which is truly phenomenal. So we're going to get into working with your wife. We're going to get into failed businesses. We're going to get into the trials and tribulations of having fucking staff. And I'll be honest with you, I think what Nick says about where he invests literally all of his money is going to be a shocker. Let's get to this. There are a ton of men doing podcasts about business, or at least they claim to be men. It's time to take off the panties, and let's get real. <laughs> this is the One Man Empire Show with Charlie Hutton. If you have a sweet spot for big business horseshit... Or if you're a sucker for bland, boring, politically correct podcasts, you can go ahead and turn this off right now. If you're a man at the helm of your own business, we want to inspire you to make more, provide more, provide more, and be more without having to sacrifice it all. You'll get everything from ethically gray tactics to dealing with dickhead customers and all the the carnage in between. Let's do it. Welcome to the One Man Empire Show with Charlie Hutton. What the fuck are you doing in London? Talk me through that. Okay, so here's, here's a little bit of backstory. I'm Greek. I was born in Greece. And when I was really young, I moved to Lebanon. My mom was Lebanese, so I moved to Lebanon. And later on, I moved to the UK. I was studying and I stayed. Since I was in Lebanon, I knew I wanted to pursue my businesses because I was already starting businesses when I was young. And I thought it would be great to go to the UK. There's a lot of more opportunities. There's a lot of more things that I can pursue and like experiment with. That's what all. the fuck's Lebanon like? It's actually cool. It's fun. A lot of cool people. When I was in my teen years, I started a business where... I was doing events, so I was doing wow. I was hiring venues, hiring bands. I had a band myself. I had friends in other bands, yeah. so I getting them to play in a concert. You know, bootstrapping the whole thing because you don't need a lot of budget to start something like that. Let me just stop you there, Nick, because you're talking through, like, this is what normal people do. They're just in a band and they're like, yeah. fuck it, I'm going to go set up like concerts <laughs> as if it's the easiest thing in the world. Most other people think that's like a thousand foot high fucking wall that someone needs to overcome so how did you make that switch and you're like right i can do this it's possible let's make it happen well since my teen years i had an itch i wanted to do things things that are exciting i started playing music i started a band attending a lot of concerts a lot of events even small events big events all that kind of thing and grew my network like that, meet people in the industry. And then at some point I thought, why not? I, I try to do that. I try to hire cool. a small venue. Yeah. I do that. And maybe now thinking about it, that was inspired by my mom because she is an event manager. She has her own business mm. as well. Not, not related to music, but since music was my thing at that point in my life, I thought, let me do this. Let me try this. And a couple of them sucked. They were really bad. <laughs> I couldn't pay sometimes. I couldn't pay the bands. Wow, that was no. Yeah, but that was fine. I promised them the next event that we'll do better. Yeah. I'll pay them better. And I did. 
It was a learning process. Some of them were terrible. Some of them were really successful. I had one with 700 people coming in and, wow. and performing as well. My band was performing. So that was, that was a fun period in my life. That's fucking cool, man. In high school, I used to do a little bit of DJing and a buddy of mine used to play as well. And it's like, all we need to do is sell tickets at the door. We take a cut off the bar and it's like, holy shit, why everyone else is like sweating, trying to do Saturday jobs. I'm like, we're, we're running this thing exactly. here like every other Friday. It's cool. That's really, really cool. So yeah. how were you marketing that thing, Nick? Yeah, well, Facebook pages, Facebook groups. We used to print some flyers and put yeah. them on the streets. So it was just manual stuff. We're trying things out, seeing what works, what didn't work and do more of the things that worked and hoping for the best. It was a fun experiment. That's cool. I absolutely love that. And your mum had her own business as well. So you were in and around that growing up? Yes. Right. Yes. I credit my family. Everyone in my family have their own business. And they always supported me because, you know, they understand the entrepreneurship side of things. So they were always supportive of me trying to do my own thing. And I think that helped me pursue more things that I had on my mind. Yeah, it's funny that, isn't it? I think sometimes you have to see what's possible in order to believe that it's possible for you as well, isn't it? So exactly. being in, in an environment with other ambitious people and you're like, fuck, well, if they can do it, then I'm pretty sure I can do it. And if I believe I can do it, then th there's no limitations. Totally agree. Yeah, it gives you reference points. So what age were you when you left Lebanon, Nick? Um, I was 20 or 21, I believe. Yeah. And... When I was in Lebanon the last few years, I already started a software business, learning to do design, marketing, mm. and also friends were into that kind of thing. Tried to work with them. I got a partner that was into the, you know, the technical side of things. We partnered up and started doing some software. It was for a couple of years, a really successful thing. Like, you know, a, sm a small business that was supporting yeah. me and all that. And that's how I decided to move to the UK and take this to the next level. So I moved. It was completely new. Yeah. You know, when you're young, you're like, fuck it, I'm going to just go for it. <laughs> yeah. And no consequences. It's all good. No consequences it? whatsoever. So I came here and that's where I met my partner in uni. She was doing psychology. Yeah. I was still doing my small software yeah. business on the side. That's really cool. I, I love that at, at that age. I, I made a similar sort of thing at 19. I was playing ice hockey and I'm like, fuck, where do you go to be the, the best ice hockey player you can be? I'm like, fuck it. Canada's pretty good. If you were to do that now and you're like married and you've got kids and you've got all the other shit, you come up with a thousand one other reasons why you can't do it. Back exactly. then you're like, well, it's not that fucking difficult. I just need a plane ticket and, there and, and you're on another island. So how did you go from software company to fucking finance? Yeah, my interest was in tech. But I'm interested in the business side of things, mm. in the finance side of things, scaling the company, marketing it well. I'm trying to understand the market and all that because I yeah. think that drives the revenue, that drives growth, that drives everything. So that was what my main interest was. My passion for business and marketing was always there and I was always learning more because it's a never-ending journey. Yeah. And when I met my partner, she was doing psychology, something completely different. We started dating. I was doing my thing. She was doing her thing. At some point... I had another business, which was an entertainment. It was like okay. environment news, viral entertainment, which was way terrible. Uh, <laughs> Talk to me about that, Nick. I, I like the ones that go bad as well as the ones that went good. What happened well, there? If you like the stories that went bad, I have more bad than good. <laughs> I have way worse stuff that didn't work out, that didn't pan out. So <laughs> after the software company, I started to do apps. Many of them failed. One of them was successful and the three others were a complete failure. But I learned a lot from them. I learned a lot of skills, a lot of marketing. I learned how to manage people because I was hiring freelancing websites and things like that. So it was all coming all together. I love that. I love an outsourcing model. I'm a big, big believer in yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. 
So at some point I started this viral news entertainment company. And I think it was around 2013 where there was a lot of those news websites going viral, like BuzzFeed and that yeah. kind of thing. So I started one, but it was very hard to make it profitable. It was very hard to sustain it. And at the point I decided I'm going to cut my losses and do something else, try something else. And that's where I thought that me and my partner, we've been dating here at this point for a year or so. Let's bring our expertise together. That's amazing. So you guys have been dating a year. And yeah. you're like, right, okay, fuck, we're going to throw a business into that mix and going to ratchet the heat in this thing up. So how, how did that conversation go? I think that happened naturally because she had a job, but she saw me doing my own thing and had an itch to do her own thing. Um, and at some point, uh, the conversation led us to like, okay, you're trying to do your own thing. I'm trying to do my own thing. Why not just bring it together? And that's when we thought about what common problem do we have? And we were both smokers at that point. Yeah. Thought, you know what? We should take care of our health. We should, we should quit smoking. How about we figure this out? We try to quit smoking. We create the process out of it and we make a business out of that process that we created. And wow. that's when the whole thing started coming around. What I'm interested in here, Nick, how you and your partner work together and how you make that work. Cause I fucked like a whole load of shit up with, uh, with Emma, my wife from a business standpoint. So I'm curious, Nick, in having gone through that process myself and having fucked it up, how does that work from a relationship standpoint? How does that work from a business standpoint? So when we first started, it was not working out for, <laughs> for a long time. We were trying to figure shit out for maybe two years. We were bootstrapping it. We were experimenting. We were trying to invest everything that we have into this new venture. But what was solid about our work together is that we believed in what we were doing mm. and our relationship was really solid. And That's that amazing. kept us going. That kept us going. And with every fail, we learned something new and we're like, okay, now this one is going to be it. This, yeah, this yeah, funnel, yeah. this advertising campaign, this, this kind of thing. And we kept on doing that and learning until finally it started clicking and finally we started having impact. And that's basically our group. And I think it's interesting that, isn't it, in terms of working with your other half, how sometimes having that other person there when you get home that really fucking gets and understands what you're going through on a day-to-day. -to, -day. to have that person with you at home and in work is a cool thing, isn't it? It is definitely, it comes with its challenges, but it's worth it. So, so talk, talk to me about that, Nick, because I know you guys, you actively challenge each other, don't you? In terms of like, I want you to tell me the six reasons why Nick, this is the stupidest fucking idea that you've ever come up with as you're going through the growth strategy. Yeah. We both have very different roles in the company and we're both trying to push what we do best. And what we learned is that it would be extremely useful if the other person that's getting the information tries to poke holes at it, try to find what's wrong with it. And the reason this is very useful is because when you get an idea, you get so excited about it and you might not be very realistic in terms of how good that idea is, yeah. how viable it is. So when you give it to someone else and the other person tries to attack it or find the problems with it and you have to defend it, it gives you perspective and that perspective helps you understand and improve it. I'm a huge believer that I'm having a sounding board and, and I think that there's a lot of men out there that they don't have that sounding board and, and that shit just fucking runs around in your own head and you're trying to work out best ways, best strategies. And a lot of the time that's what drags you down because you've not got someone there to bounce it off. That being said though, that's some brave stuff, isn't it? Because when someone's shooting your idea down, it takes a lot to sit there and it forces you to really get to the crux of what needs to be done and why it needs to be done. Exactly, exactly. So if you don't have 
that kind of people around you, a partner or anything that can, and you can bounce ideas off. They can shoot them up. They can be brutally honest about it, that's you know, awesome. because a lot of times the friends, they would be like, oh, that's a great idea or family. They would be, oh, that's a very nice idea, but you need someone that's going to be honest with you. That is going to tell you things, how they really see them. And they need to have merit. That, that's huge. I think that Nick, isn't it? That honesty and that impartiality that comes with it. Cause you, you hit on friends and you hit on family. And I think the same thing, it's employees as well. You sometimes get that hidden agenda, don't you? So when employees might give you the answer that they think you want to hear, or they give you the answer that gets them off work, friends and family give you the answers that are going to make your life easier. And that real honesty and impartiality is the thing that allows you to really move the fucking dial, isn't it? It's what's the real reality of this situation, unbiased unchecked and uh, what are people going to think yeah exactly so who normally comes out the best of those nick is that you or is that your partner i think it's a 50 50 thing every time <laughs> like, sometimes wins. when someone comes up with the idea even when we want to share it with our team members we try to leave ego out of it because i don't want to be right i want to yeah. be successful nice. I, I prefer to be wrong many times and get the right answer instead of being, okay, that's my idea. We have to implement it because I want to take credit for it. So yeah, made the best ideas win. Nick, that's a fucking golden shower right there in terms of, I don't want to be right. <laughs> I want to be successful. How old are you, Nick? Just if you don't mind me asking. I'm 31. 31. So business has been going, what, five, six years? Is that right? A bit longer. Yeah. And you guys have really, really grown in terms of the numbers that you do in international markets. Talk me through that growth. Yeah. So at first it was just us doing our best, bootstrapping everything. We wore many hats so we can get this off the ground. And as soon as we started helping some people, which is amazing, we started getting success stories. We started investing in other team members so they can help us so we can do more of the things that move the needle. And with time, as we started hiring people, the operations got bigger. And that was something also we had to learn because operations isn't there basically when you're just doing <laughs> yeah. non Post-it notes and a bit of paper, isn't it? That you pass between desks. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we had a challenge learning about how this whole thing works, how hiring properly works and focusing on very valuable team members because they have to be on the same page. They see what you're trying to do and they really want to be part of it. So we were able to grow, grow that into eight, nine people. Wow. So um, talk me through that, Nick, because I fucking hate I, I say, hey, I'm useless with employees. Like yeah. I've had them before, fucking terrible. I'm like, if I can automate something, I, I will automate as much as I can. And then if I need to stick a body in, I'll stick a body in to, <laughs> to run some of that. So how do you find that in terms of adding people? Or how do you make sure that you get people that are reliable? What's your guys' process been there? Well, at first we started very naively. We had like zero process. I remember the first time we hired, we had a call with someone. We had a chat basically, and we were like, okay, you're hired. We had zero <laughs> reference. You got the job. Let's do this. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we didn't have any metrics. We didn't have anything, but obviously this didn't last maybe like a couple of weeks. We started learning and we've had several hires that didn't work out. And that's when we realized that we need to have proper documentation of what we need people to do. So our mindset changed from hiring people to building systems and hiring nice. people to work the systems. Yeah. So... The systems that we have are the assets and people are human assets that come and work those systems that will generate the results that we're looking for. That's huge, that's huge that Nick. I'm a huge systems guy and it gives you that power, doesn't it? If the humans are running the systems, let's say worst case scenario, one of those humans take a bullet to the back of the head tomorrow in terms of switching the human route, it becomes so much easier from our operational exactly. standpoint to be like, actually I can get someone in, I can get them up to speed and the business doesn't need to slow down because there's been human errors. Exactly. And we had to experience that because we had 
once someone that was working for around eight months and mm. they had a lot of a lot of things in their head, a lot of experience, and for personal reasons they had to leave. We did not have everything that they've been working on. It was just in their head. It was not documented. It was not a process. And that's when we realized, okay, hold on. We cannot lose a person and lose everything. We have to separate those two things. We need to have the processes and we need to have the people that are working the processes and they're improving also the processes. So new people can come in and within a very reasonable time, they can work the processes again. In terms of creating those processes, Nick, I'm interested in that. So when I'm building anything here, my mantra normally is I, I will start that process or I will get the person in the team that's going to be doing it to basically to rewrite that process in case I've fucked shit up and then it gets deployed. So do you, do you normally create the process first and then get someone else to run it or do you get them to create the processes as they go or have you found the most effective for you? We've done both, but the most common mistake that we have done, we try to have long very detailed processes <laughs> yeah. that have a lot of conditions, those never work. So the simpler it is, the more straightforward it is, it's much better, much easier, and people will actually use it. Walk me through mechanically, Nick, where, where do you guys store that? So we have a, a platform that we use as a SaaS tool called Slab that yeah. is very easy to access, very easy to search. It also connects to Slack and Google Drive and that kind oh, of amazing. thing in, in the search. It's a very cool tool if you want to check it out. I'm guessing if it's like what we use here, it means that you can operate with people over multiple time zones, multiple countries and all that sort of stuff. You can be working 24-7 if you need to be. Exactly. That's what we do because we try to support our customers 24-7. Okay, gentlemen. So quick side note. Look, with what we got going on here, I've been forging self-made men in fast since 2015. So obviously what we do here and within my groups, well, it just fucking works. Needless to say, because of that, we're pretty much locked out most of the year and with a waiting list. However, good news for you today, right now, well, I'm temporarily opening up a couple more spots inside of one of my groups, the Alliance. Meaning today, this, my friend, is your opportunity to take a seat around the table. So, if you want to come and join this brotherhood of smart, ambitious men who can sleep safe at night, knowing that they are prepared to punch each and every single day square in the fucking face, no matter the tornado of shit, then my friend, your next step is simple. Head to applyforyourseat.com and submit your urgent application right now. And you guys, from a customer standpoint, you mentioned the success stories that you guys have got. In terms of helping people stop smoking, fuck me, man. The tobacco industry must hate you. It's, yeah, yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? They don't like us at all. And <laughs> we have instances where we realize that we are not very liked by the people who want people to keep smoking, actually. Yeah. So, so yeah, that's, that, that's, that's how, how it goes. That's crazy. And I'm kind of curious because I'm a fucking marketing guy, Nick. I love yeah. marketing. And yeah. crux of any marketing really comes down to like psychology, people think process and how we, how we can ethically move them to a decision that's going to ultimately <laughs> benefit them in one way or another. So your partner being a psychologist, that gives you a head start, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. It makes things easier because a lot of copywriting, persuasion, belief shifts that we have to do in your audience will require some psychology knowledge. So yeah, that came in handy for sure. Do you guys do that yourselves or do you have someone else that we, we, do that, we do that ourselves. I'm the main marketer basically in the business and we do the copywriting ourselves. My partner, since she's coming up with the content and all, that fits very well in the copywriting that we do. Have you ever tried getting anyone else to do that for you? We have. We have. We have tried twice. It's not like it didn't work, but it didn't work as good as we can do it, especially that a lot of our marketing is content-based. So it's really hard to get someone to get into all that and create the copy for it. Yeah, I've, I've had that same experience as well. You can speak to, let's call it marketing agencies. I call them fucking charlatans. Yeah, because they, they, yeah. They, they, they talk a good game and then you get the stuff over and you're like, 
yeah, this ain't going to work. And it's I like being, it's the best way to describe it is I, I like being able to control what I eat. And if I've got someone else in control of who's putting food on the table, I think that's a, it's, it's a worrying Definitely. thing. It's Definitely. A, and marketing is a crucial part of what we do. All businesses, I mean. Yeah, and I agree. If you don't have control over that, then you don't have control. So yeah, it's tricky. And talk us through where you get most of your customers from or how are you mainly marketing and what's that look like? We run a lot of ads. We run ads to free content and free webinars. And that's how we increase discoverability of what we do. A lot of people come and get a lot of real value from the free stuff that we put out there. We believe in this concept of um, offering a lot of value. Wow. And as you give a lot of value out to your market, a portion will decide to buy your products. That has worked very well with us. I believe it's called the strategy of preeminence yes. by Jay, Jay Abraham. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Jay's a very smart guy. Yeah. Yeah. And that has worked amazingly for us. And we are happy doing it as well because we are helping people at the end of the day. So, so how much content are you guys putting out on a weekly basis? Nate? What does that look like? We're launching this letter every week. Yeah. Whether it's an email or a video or an article, we try to repurpose a lot of our content as well to put them in different medium, like whether it's video, create an article out of it or an email out of it. Different people consume content in different ways and we try to reach as many people as we can. That's awesome. You've been going old school with some bits and pieces as well and running some ads in newspapers. We were having a conversation about what you were doing and put some stuff in the Daily Mail. What happened and how you then... Reevaluate that. Well, every few months we sit down and we think what new things we can do, what, how we can reinvent ourselves because you're either growing or you're dying. There's no in between. You're never maintaining. So we always aim to grow and to try to experiment with new things. And one of the most recent experiments is trying print and two of them are out and they didn't do well at all. <laughs> uh, and, it, and it's one of those things where we had to try it if it works, that would have been amazing. And that would have changed a lot of things for us. But it didn't. And that's fine. That's part of the process of experimenting with things. You can't expect everything to work out. No, I think it's it's really interesting, that, isn't it? Especially when you go in with things that you haven't tried before. Uh, have you tried it? No, I've not tried newspapers. We tried lead generation from a direct mail standpoint. So going back pre-One Man Empire, we did some postcards from lead generation uh, or mm. for lead generation. And they worked really, really well. And from a data capture standpoint, we were full contact information. And then we were driving those people to uh, a website to capture email addresses for follow-up. And, and that worked reasonably well within a tolerance. So we were like, right, if we could do this better with ego and the ability to put good marketing we put a sales letter together so we spend the fucking weeks prepping it the thing out it fucking tanked nick it was terrible but it's part of the process like you say it's it's one of those one of those things and unless you test you don't know uh, and it's amazing the amount of questions that that i get people say oh should we do this and the honest answer is really fucking test it because what works for me or what works for you might be different for your market and exactly and that sort of thing so talk me through nick next steps what's What's that look for? What's the growth plans? Is it going to be more bodies? Is it focus on revenue, focus on cash? Or how do you see the next 12, 24 months evolving? We generally try to focus on people and helping more people because when we help more people, when we impact more people, everything else improves. So that has been our North Star, basically. How can we do better helping more people? How can we help people in a better way? And that naturally will increase revenue, will increase people coming to us, and everything else will follow. That's fucking awesome. We haven't talked about it, which I think is absolutely fascinating, is the fact that you guys have built this to where you've built it to. Off the back of one fucking product. Do you know what I mean? It's like a, 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 a one, exactly. one, one thing. There's so, so many people out there that are constantly 
have this belief that I need to add more product lines, I need to add more services. When the reality is, in my experience, if you've got one thing, maybe two things, and you can ruthlessly deliver that and simplify the fucking business, like from an operational standpoint, it becomes easier. From a customer service point, it becomes easier. Exactly. And it doesn't get overcomplicated. So top me three, was that a strategic decision from your standpoint? We you like, right, we're going to keep this thing fucking simple. Or was it just like, holy shit, this thing's working and we're going to keep going with it? Here's the thing. You need one product to actually have a very successful business, a product that you really care about, that you really work, make it very valuable. And we're able to turn this product into a seven-figure business. There's that myth that you need many products or many funnels, but this is definitely not true. You need one solid funnel one solid product and a market that you can sell it to. I personally really believe that um, generating revenue is an exchange of value for money. Yeah. So you give people value, they give you back money, and that's, that's how it works. Tell me the story about if you were doing this whole thing again, what would be the things that you would be like, fucking hell, I can't believe we did that. That had to be the stupidest fucking decision that we made at the time. We've done a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> a lot of things that didn't work out. But we never really regretted doing anything that didn't work out or that felt stupid. But there are things that, if I'm doing this whole thing again, things that I would really keep in mind. The first thing is to trust your gut feeling. And I know this doesn't sound very logical or systematic, but what it really is, it's that your brain is picking up on a lot of things on an unconscious level. So you get it more right with time. So that's the first thing. The second thing is pick the right partners. If you're partnering up, whether it's on a personal layer, on a business layer, pick the right people that can support you, that can be with you, that you can merge your skills together. And the third one is to be persistent and push through the challenges because challenges are just there to learn from them. Although it might seem like a very difficult thing at the time, going through them and trying to figure them out and trying to solve them has always been the best thing. They suck at first. But are <laughs> really profitable in the long run. That's a fucking amazing mentality to have, isn't it? Sometimes it's it's hard to go at stuff and we end up falling back into comfort, which stops us persevering. We're like, ah, feels a little bit uncomfortable. We pull back, we don't do things. And my experience is always com- comfort's not a good place to be. I would rather rather be out there and fucking pushing and driving. And like you said, that's where the good shit normally happens, isn't it? Exactly. And, and in, ter- in terms of that development for you, Nick, because I know from conversations we've had, you're huge on this. In terms of investing in, let's call it development, help, support, you are, are ruthless with that. What makes you do that from your standpoint? Well, I think the only asset that you really, really own is yourself. Mm. The best asset to invest is in yourself because you might have the same business in five years, 10 years, 20 years, or you might be in a different business or you might be doing something else. But what will really stay, what we'll never lose, basically, is your education, your connections, your experience, everything that you invest in yourself. That's why investing in yourself, I think, is the best investment you can do because it will pay dividends for decades. It will pay dividends all your life. So that's why we're huge on that. Every time we have the opportunity, whether it's to join a mastermind or a group that can help us, it will always come back in many, many folds, much better than any other investment that you can do. It's fucking awesome. It's like that old analogy if you, if you teach a man to fish. Once you've been taught how to fish, it doesn't matter whether it's this thing you're doing right now or it's something else five years down the line. It's like, fuck, I've got the skill set. I can, I can leapfrog the three, four, five years that it took before and uh, I can go again, which is, uh, which exactly. is powerful. Really, really Very powerful. powerful. Very powerful. And I think a lot of people sometimes they think 
oh, maybe I shouldn't invest myself. I'd rather invest it on this marketing agency, on the advertising. But all those, you know, will come, will go, will generate a certain amount of ROI and it's gone. But when you invest in yourself, it will generate ROI forever, which yeah. is the best kind of investment. I'm kind of curious. What motivates you to get up in the morning? Why do you do what you do and what gets you excited? That's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I love the game. It's a fun game. Trying to have a vision, put a plan, trying to achieve it. It, it gives me the rush, the dopamine to actually pursue something and achieve it. It's very satisfying to actually pursue something. And even with the ups and the downs, you know, the downs makes the up, the ups more enjoyable. So yeah, that's it. I just love it. I think that word that you use there, Nick, is really instructive. It's a word I use a lot. It's the word game. And yeah. I, I think as soon as you make that frame switch mentally in terms of like, it really, it ain't fucking life or death. There will be other opportunities once you've got this skill set, once you've got the ability to take an idea or take a product or take a service and sell it. It is a fucking game. And, and as soon as you see it as a game, it becomes fun and you want to keep playing and you might lose some matches. You might win other matches, but at the end of the time, it's there to be played and enjoyed. And I think as long as you are enjoying the game, then it ain't really fucking work. And that's a good place to be mentally, isn't it? I never see it as work. I have work. It's part of my life. It's just, I'm doing what I enjoy doing. Holy fuck, gentlemen, what an absolute golden shower of insight there from my main man, Nick. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, I think that biggest rider down there was that phrase, I would rather be successful than right. If there's ever something that I need to stick across my desk in big fucking letters, it's that phrase. So consider me making that happen right now. Other than that, my friends, I've been Charlie Hutton. You've been listening to me and Nick, and I will look forward to catching up with you guys on the next episode. Listening to the One Man Empire Show with Charlie Hutton. Congratulations. You made it to the end without becoming a snowflake and sobbing like a little girl. We're glad to have you. Thanks for listening to the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time for some real, raw honesty on the One Man Empire Show with Charlie Hutton.